Welcome to the Hills Baptist Podcast. We're so glad you're joining us as we see Jesus glorified, lives transformed and hope revealed in the Adelaide Hills and beyond. We hope you enjoy this message. Guesses what we're talking about tonight? Songs, yes, we got that last week too. So yes, the sermon title tonight is actually Contentment, Aspiration and Generosity. But to give it some context, money would be the subtitle. But um, And the music and the, and the montage, why do we do that? Because it's part of the conversation that's in your head about money. Part of the conversation. These songs... Most of us know some of them, at least some of them. And they're sitting there, they're rattling around, and they form some of what we think. What we want to talk about tonight is what God thinks about money. But before we go there, just want to say it's great to be here. Thanks for coming. It's great to see people. It's great to see a camera lens and know that on the other side of that, there's some people who are paying attention um, and not just going to drink coffee. But no, it's great to have you with us and uh, we really hope you get something out of us. Let us know if you're here because that's always great. You can write on the chat. We love to, have, uh, you know, to see that you're there. Just want to say, oh, by the way, wasn't it great to have lead guitar tonight? <laughs> Elliot, well done. Thank you for that. That's terrific. Thanks a lot for that. When I took on the role of acting campus pastor here, um, there are a few things that I actually set myself to do and agreed with that with the, the leaders of the church. But a few of those things were actually about preparing the way for the next senior pastor because Mark Sanders, who was here, was a senior pastor. He actually belonged to this church um, at, here at Allgate. It was, to prepare, it was to support Nick in the role that he was doing. 
Oh, by the way, you know, we all know Dave Shepherd is now the senior pastor here, uh, based at Verdun. So part of my role was actually even to help this church and this congregation deal with that shift from the fact that the senior pastor was here to now the senior pastor is at Verdun, um, not being part of this congregation. So we no longer have a direct line to the senior pastor. It comes through the campus pastor. So it's different. And that probably has more impact in our morning service than the evening because there's Nick and Nick is here. And it's great, you know, part of my role has been to support Nick in what he does as well. And a third thing was actually to prepare the way for the new campus pastor that will come in when I finish my interim role in just nine weeks. Not very long to go. For the, some of you will be saying, hallelujah, praise the Lord. And to make it even better, we're traveling for six months after that, so uh, you won't even see us for that time. So um, what I can say is there is movement in that place around finding a, a campus pastor. There's interviews occurring in that space, so um, you know that's progressing well. But part of my role is actually to set up our church to give that person a really clean start. And there's a few things around that. There's some issues to deal with. Um, trying to fill as many volunteer positions, especially, especially for the morning congregation, because the evening congregation, Nick looks after that. And a third thing was to talk about money. Because it's actually really hard for someone coming into a role to talk about this quite often. They feel like, oh, I don't want that to be the first thing that I talk about. So talking about money is a dirty job and someone's got to do it. And that's why I'm doing it here tonight. It's interesting because as Christians... Quite often we still don't find it easy to talk about money. We'll talk about lots of things that are going on in our life. But it's actually a bit rude to ask someone about what they spent their money on or how much did that cost. Sometimes we might ask in a very careful way, what did you pay for that? We don't find it very easy to talk about. What do you earn? It's not really a polite question. And even as Christians, we don't feel comfortable talking about um, money in this way. Why is that? And there's a few things that I think contribute to that. One is that people have had negative experiences or have heard negative things about what churches have done with money. And you know what? Throughout history, from Old Testament times all the way through to now, God's people or the place of God when, when it's received money, there's been times when that's been used in a wrong way, in a corrupt way, in a greedy way. That's been true forever, okay? It's not new. Uh, that's always been the case. But even in Jesus' time, he never said, stop giving money to the temple. He never said that. But people have had negative experiences around that. There can be a concern that all the church really wants is my money. That's, you know, they keep asking for it. They keep saying you should give it. That's really all they want. They might think, people might think, it's none of your business. What I do with my money is none of your business. Well, I'd say that's actually the same as whatever I do with my life is none of your business. And yet we are called to be a community who share and grow in our faith together and encourage each other to grow. And I would say money is not an exception to that. And finally, one of the reasons we find it actually difficult to talk about is guilt. There's guilt because I should be, feel like, it just makes us feel guilty. I feel like I should be doing more. I feel, feel guilty about that. Well, today we're ripping this Band-Aid about talking about money anyway. And by the way, 
We're going to do things a little differently today because I'm actually going to speak for a while, but then we're actually going to have a question and answer time, okay? So at the end of this time, there'll be questions and answers. I say, you, you know, a, a time we call it, you don't, you can't ask that. Turns out you can, okay? So nothing is off limits, okay? You can ask me personal questions, okay? Nothing is off limits, okay? You can't ask that. Yes, you can, okay, in that way. So just as I speak, be thinking of questions you might want to ask. If you were here last week, you heard Martin talk about social justice, and he actually gave some examples about why we should be involved in social justice. And he gave some examples about great leaders in the past who've been leaders in this space. Talking about social justice in the church is really a call to us to use our resources, the resources that we have, to address injustice and disadvantage in our society. It's one of the ways that Christians should be using our resources. And Jesus spoke a lot about this. But as Christians, we're also called to use our resource to support the work of the church. It actually costs money to run this place and to support the leaders of our church, the people who are paid full time to do the stuff that either we don't have time to do or we don't want to do. It costs money and we've always been, it's always been a thing that God's people have been asked to contribute to the work of God. But today, actually, so that's about why we do these things. But today, I actually want to talk about the other side of that and the flip side of that. And it's actually talking about not the disadvantaged and not the receiver, but the giver. Talking about those people with resources, not those without. And when we talk about resources, we're talking about all of us because we all have resources. And in Australia... Oh, we could say, and we all have talents, and we've all got time. And in Australia, we have money. And we have opportunity, and especially as young people, you've just got opportunity in front of you, wherever you look. Some have got more than others when it comes to money or opportunity, that's for sure. But we've all got some, and all of us here have more than most in the world. So today is actually dealing, about dealing with abundance, not lack, but dealing with abundance because we all have a lot. Jesus spent a lot of time talking about money. I waltzed my way through Luke and counted at least 20 times that Jesus either spoke about money or had encounters with people about money and I probably missed a few, okay, talking about money or possessions, And I think that if Jesus spent this much time talking about it and dealing about it with people, that perhaps we need to do it as well. But for all that's in Luke, I actually want to bookend the message tonight, what I speak, around two passages. And the first one points to our first point that I want to make about money, and that is that we should be content. So I just want to read this verse together. This is Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. So I want us to actually read this together. I want us to say the reference and then we read it together. Okay, so ready? Hebrews 13.5. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you, 
never will I forsake you. So you probably thought that a sermon about money would actually be just talking about giving, and I've mentioned that already, and don't worry, it's coming later. But this piece around being content is actually probably one of the really important things that I'd like you to take away from tonight about being content. And I will talk about that more later. But I, I really want to emphasise it because I think it's so important. But the second point that I want to say um, talks about, um, about giving generously. So what we have, so firstly be content, but when it comes to money and our resources, it's about giving generously. And to help us with this, I want to read 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 and 18. And don't worry, I'm reading this to you. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. So if we just go back to the first part of that, if we can flip back to the first part there, Nick. It says, command those who are rich in this world. Do I need to convince you that that's you? Because I'm about to, okay? So if you were thinking that's not you, that I'm just a poor uni student, or have you seen the car that I drive? Do you really think I'm rich? Many of you will have seen something, or I only work part-time. Many of you will have seen either a YouTube clip or something that goes along this, these lines. If you have food in your fridge, clothes on your back, a roof over your head and a place to sleep, you're richer than 75% of the world. You have money in the bank, in your wallet and some spare change, you're among the top 8% of the world's wealthy. We could probably add, if you spent more than $2 on a cup of coffee in the last week, I'd say the percentage goes up from 8%. So if you're thinking I'm not wealthy, just think I'm not rich in this world, it's probably time to realise on a world scale we are very wealthy, all of us. And like, while that says 8%, you can see that the news for many of us only gets worse or better from there, from that 8% number. It's significant. So we're rich, all right. We're rich. But being a church, I want to talk a little bit about tithing. In fact, I want to talk, cause I want to talk about tithes and offerings. Now, if that's new to you, don't worry. If you hang around churches long enough, you're going to hear about this stuff. Sometimes we say it and think everybody understands what the heck that means. But if you, you know, tithing is a concept of giving God 10% of what he provides to us. So it'd be 10% of your income. Or in Old Testament times, it was really the first 10% of their produce. And the concept started with the very first harvest that actually occurred right at the beginning of Genesis, right at the beginning of the book of the Bible, right at the beginning of man's relationship with God. This concept around we needed to give the first 10%, the first 10% to God was invoked all the way back there. In the Old Testament, 
in addition to the tithe that it spoke about giving to the priests or the temple, it actually spoke about an annual tithe to give thanks for God's provision and a tithe every three years for the poor. Now, some people, some scholars would add all those numbers up and say that's 23% minimum. Some people can come up with numbers even greater than that. Some scholars would say, no, you just roll all of them in. They kind of worked it out to be 10%. But regardless of whether it was 10% or 23% or any other number, not only were there tithes, but there were offerings that came on top of that. There were offerings. And, you know, there's at least five, and you can find those as you read through the Old Testament. But because of Jesus' work on the cross... We're actually not bound by those things. And when it comes to the New Testament, when we read about the time beyond Jesus, tithing's barely mentioned. The only positive, really positive mention it gets is in Hebrews when it talks refers to all the way back into the Old Testament when Abraham met a priest called Melchizedek who very much appears like a Christ-like figure and gives him 10% of everything that he owns. And Hebrews says, pretty much says, that seems like it was a good thing to do. But if you look elsewhere in the New Testament, mostly it talks about how people tithe badly, or how they tithe incorrectly. Because the attitude with which they do it is wrong. And Jesus points this out several times. So it doesn't talk a lot about tithing in the New Testament. What it does talk about is being generous. It talks about being generous to others and it talks about being generous to God. And so that's part of our 1 Timothy 6 passage that we read earlier and we will come back to that again later because like I said, we're going to bookend with that. But talking practically, what does generous look like? Well, sometimes I think it's actually easier to say what it doesn't look like than what it does. Sometimes it's easier to say what it's not. You know how some things, you know, it's hard to define, but you know it when you see it. But a few things that I'd say that generous is not, is it's not just the minimum, what you can get away with. Generous is not just what you're obligated to do, what you're obliged to do. And generous is not a transaction. If I give you this, you'll give me that. That's not generosity. What we might say is that generosity values others higher than ourselves. We might say that it involves at least a measure of abundance, of more than what you're obliged to do. And it may involve a measure of self-sacrifice. But regarding, and, and, you know, it's just important to say it's not a transaction. And so when it comes to giving, this is not a transaction. When we give to the church, it's not a transaction we're doing with God. If, you, if I give you this, then I expect this to return to me in this way. It's not an investment in anything in worldly terms. It's an investment in his kingdom. And regarding generosity... Well, we're not under the Old Testament law anymore. I actually find the concept, for me, of tithes and offerings really helpful to know what I should do with the resources that God has given me. At one level, I'd say my tithe, the 10% that I give to the church, is the least I should do. At one level, I could say that's the least I should do. 
and that the offerings that I give to missions and to disadvantage is perhaps that which is coming out of my generosity. So that's a way that I find helpful for me to think about tithes and offerings or being generous before God. When it comes to this, one thing I would say is that many Western Christians, we know, we know, we can tell even in this church, are not tithing or giving 10%. And I'd say that it's not, they're not doing it because they can't, that they can't afford it. And I'd say they're not even doing it because they say, I'm not under that law. I'm not under law anymore, therefore I don't have to do it. I would say that deep down, if really honest, they don't want to. I'd say that many Christians, even mature Christians, deep down, begrudge giving God the money that they give and they don't give generously. When I say that, I don't say that in a judgmental way. It's not up for me to be judge of who gives how much or what. That's not my role. But I do want to encourage us to think about this and say, as a Western Christian with the resources that I have, does 10% sound generous to a God who's given us everything that we have? Who's given us abundant life, the joy that we experience in him, and who's given us eternal life? Does 10% of what he's given, does that sound generous? Does it sound generous from someone who's in the top 5% of the world's wealthy or more? So if we can't give 10%, there's 95% of the world who's worse off than us. And you know what? There's a lot of those people in that 95% who are giving more than 10%. So I'm just saying, have a think about generosity in this space and being generous towards God and generous towards the disadvantaged because Jesus spoke about these things. Giving to God is not an obligation. It's not to be an obligation. And it's not an investment in our future. It's a generous response to a God who's given us so much. I do want to say I do recognise that there are some people who cannot do this because in a particular situation uh, is that they're married to someone who is not a believer. And in doing so, that person doesn't hold those same values about giving to God and it's not appropriate for them to give in that circumstance. It's not something they can agree on together. I can certainly say I've had conversations with people in our congregation where they, um, in the, who are in that situation and it's a great grief to them that they can't give in that way because they're in this, this kind of marriage. So for those of you contemplating marriage, it's something to think about. Do I share a value in this space? It's really funny. We have these people who can't give who really, really want to and these people who can, who don't. Um, quite interesting that that occurs. But let's move on. Our next point is about giving is to give joyfully. And there's a great scripture to help us with this one. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly 
or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. A couple of things that are really important to pick up about here, because I said, don't say this in a judgmental way, and I don't. Each of you shall decide in your heart what it is to give. But particularly it says, don't give reluctantly. God loves a cheerful giver. Giving's to be a joy. It's not a reluctant task. It's not because we have to. It's not the last thing we get to. Giving actually be the first thing we get to. Indeed, God actually speaks several times in the Old Testament in particular, but also in the New Testament, about detesting sacrifices or offerings that are not given with a willing heart. Last week, Martin mentioned one of those from Amos chapter 5, and he said, Amos chapter 5, I hate, despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies are a stench to me. That's like saying, I hate your Sunday night services. I hate your Sunday night services. This is God talking about if your heart is not right. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. Even if you give me your money and your resources, I will have no regard for them. We don't win God's favour by giving. Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps in our context. I won't listen to your worship. You can sing. You can raise your hands. You can be deeply moved. But if it's not done with the right heart, it's detestable. But let justice roll on like a river and righteousness like an ever-failing stream. So give joyfully. Next point. It's just around giving consistently, not just haphazard, but regularly. And I'm not going to spend much time on this apart from saying that it's a really good idea to give regularly or consistently. Paul certainly encouraged the Corinthian church to actually said on the first day of the week, put some money aside in keeping with your income. Put some money aside the first day of the week. Once again, first So I'd really encourage you to consider the concept of tithes and offerings and make sure you're doing both regularly. One of the things I will say is that um, doing it regularly does two things. One, the discipline is really good because, you know, whether I get around to it or not. The second thing, it actually gives the joy of giving ever before me. Yeah, There is a joy in giving. And if you give regularly, then you get that joy often. So do that. Um, If you're the kind of person who needs to use direct debit, just go for it. It's the easiest thing to do. We all know how to do it. Just do it. Um, It's a great way of giving. But I want to come back to that first point I mentioned about being content. Because it's really difficult to give generously, to give joyfully, or to give consistently if you're not content with what you've got. It's actually really difficult to give. If you sit there and say, I'm not happy, I don't have the things that I want, it's actually really hard to give it away. If you're actually really content with what you have, or even a little bit less, it's actually really easy to give. 
because you have this base level of contentment. There's a couple of scriptures that were really, are really helpful here. And Paul is talking to the church and he's just saying, he says a couple of things that are great. So in Philippians chapter 4, verse 11 and 12, he says, I've learnt, this is the second part of the verse, I've learnt to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learnt the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And a second scripture, just, just quickly, is 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness with contentment is great gain. So I just want to talk a little bit about contentment and aspiration. Because contentment can sound like, oh, how does this work? I'm young and I have opportunities. Is it okay to aspire to things? Is it okay? We've got opportunity in so many areas. We've got careers. We've got relationships. We've got experiences. We've got possessions. We've got things that we can look forward to. Is that okay? And really it's a sermon in itself, but I just want to touch on a couple of things. I want to tell a story. I want to touch on a couple of thoughts around aspiration. My father is one of the most contented people that I know. Always has been, always will be. Until he retired, my dad was a farmer. He started out just as a labourer. You know, just earning a low wage, um, working on a farm for somebody else. And he did that for several years, gradually saving money, gradually saving money until he was able to buy some land. And with time he bought a little bit more land and then he spent his life paying off the debt on that land. And that was his life's work. A lot of times through that time, there were really difficult times. There were times when they had no idea how they were going to get through. There were times, so many times when they nearly went broke. And when I was a child, we didn't have very much money at all to spare. But if you listen to my father talk through that time, if you listen to him talk, you only heard words of contentment about how fortunate we were to live where we were. There were people around us who already owned their farms who had heaps more than we had. But how fortunate we were and how fortunate we were to have the farm. And if it didn't rain, which was devastating, he'd say it was great living weather. He was a godly man, but that contentment didn't stop him from striving for something. He had a goal. He wanted to buy this farm. He wanted to pay it off and he wanted to support his family. And they're noble aspirations. Today, my dad lives on a pension. That's all he has, just a pension. So it's not wealthy. And until very recently, he lived in a fairly standard home, in a fairly standard street, in a town in South Australia that's not a tourist destination. But if you listen to my dad talk, he lived in the best street, in the best house, with the best view, with the best wife, in the best town in all of Australia. And um, by the way, he would have said that the view from the farm that he owned was the best in the world. 
Now, it actually is a pretty good view from the top of that hill, but calling it the best in the world, you wouldn't get another farm with a better view than this. It's probably a stretch. Okay, in fact, probably most of those statements don't really stand up to scrutiny. I hope my father's not watching. <laughs> I'm in a lot of trouble, uh, if he is. But, and the one is that married to the best wife, I think my mum is a wonderful woman. And so I think that might get close. Everything else, whew, I don't know about that. But once a 10-year-old boy actually asked my dad, who's the richest person in Karunda? So now you know this tourist destination. Who's the richest person in, in Karunda? And he stopped and thought and he said, me. He said, I've got everything I want. I've got things that people can't buy. I've got everything I want. I'm the richest person in Karunda. So what my dad taught me, firstly, was to be content. But secondly, that contentment didn't have to stifle aspiration. We played sport. He wanted us to be as good as we could be, be decent human beings, but to be as good as we could be. Paul's aspiration, the Apostle Paul, who wrote a lot of the New Testament, his aspiration was that he would work to support the ministry that he had for sharing the gospel of Christ, the good news of Jesus. That was why he worked. It was very obvious to him. And he spoke about that. You can find his discourse on this in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. But in that discourse where he speaks about why he works, he also spoke to others who were in the church of the, at Thessalonica at the time. Because in the church at Thessalonica at the time, there were people who were saying, Jesus is coming back soon. Very spiritual people, by the way. Jesus is coming back soon. I'm going to sit and wait for him. I actually don't have to do anything. You know, because my aspiration is to be here and ready for Jesus. And that was their aspiration. But Paul actually said, that's not it. That's not what Jesus was asking. It's not what he was saying. Basically says, he who works shall eat, was what he was saying. And it very much was putting that in front of people, that they should work. That it wasn't more spiritual to sit idle than it was to work. Tim Keller, some of you will have heard of, actually wrote a really good book and I've only read an article about the book or an extract from this book, I will say, um, but about work, about work for Christians. And just says that we were built for work and the dignity it gives us as human beings, and, and that we were built for work and the dignity that it gives us as human beings, regardless of its status and pay. So what he's saying is there's a reason for doing work if you're going to work, you might as well enjoy it. And part of enjoyment for many of us is the sense of achievement that we get in there. So I think it's worthwhile to say that no matter what you work, whether it's what you think is high status or low status, certainly there's words in the New Testament that says, whatever you do, do it as unto the Lord. Make it worth it. So while our first aspiration, and many of you will be familiar with Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, which says, Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. All these things that's actually talking about there is clothing and food in particular, but essentially all that you need to live will be added to you. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and these things will be given to you as well. And also in Matthew chapter 6, he says these words, But store up yourselves treasures in heaven, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. 
So in terms of aspiration, these things always need to take priority. Seeking the word of, uh, seeking first the kingdom of God and treasure in heaven. Investing in, the, in God's kingdom, not our kingdom. But our first Timothy chapter 6 verse, command those who are rich in this world, actually says that there will be rich people in the world. There will be people with more resources than others in the world. And there's clear instructions for them. So what we say from that is there is a place for secular work, clear place for secular work, and even for secular aspiration. But firstly, we, wish we should be seeking his kingdom. So just before I wrap up this section, just a reminder that there's opportunity for questions. And then to say that we've spoken a lot today, tonight, about money. But I just want to mention other things, in particular, time and talent. Because when we talk about being content and giving joyfully and giving consistently, it's not just about money. We all get 24 hours a day and we all get 365 days a year. Some people manage to do a heck of a lot more with that time than others, but it's exactly the same amount of time. Some of it's around prioritisation. Some of it's around contentment. Some of it's around a a heart. So I want to say... Are you generous in your time with the Lord? Is that a joy to you to spend time meeting with God or serving God? Lots of you do a great job of that here and we see it every week. But are you using what God has given you consistently? Talent. Have you got talents? Certainly God's given you. Are you content with what God's given you? Are you willing to offer that joyfully and graciously? And many of you do that. It's great to see. And thank you. But are we using, are we willing to dedicate time to the Lord in that way as well? In my career, prior to being acting campus pastor, engineer working in the oil and gas industry or mining and minerals, uh, mostly in project management, I strive to be as good as I could be in that environment. But I always did want to leave time and energy for the things of God as well. So it was always a thing in my life that I could always work. You can spend, I could spend all my life working. But one of my priorities was to say, I want to leave some of my time and my talent in service for God as well. And so that was always a priority for me. And that's how it worked for me. What I will say, a couple of nice spin-offs from, uh, you know, In that career, I was reasonably successful, perhaps not as successful as I might have been if I dedicated myself fully. Sometimes there were decisions I had to make about, do I want to do this or do I want to leave time for family and for church and for God and had to make those decisions. But did do reasonably well and um, I'm very grateful. And there were a couple of good spin-offs from actually doing that. One is we, you know, we by any means, uh, you know, got, were blessed financially. What that enabled us to do is give. And so, you know, we get a joy of giving from what God has given us. And the other thing is I've learned some things from my secular work that have actually been really useful even in this role. They're skills that you learn from that environment. So just coming to the final bit now, before we have this question and answer, I just want to read, so I want to encourage us around contentment. I want to read this Hebrews 13, chapter 5 together one more time. So we get to do this time, starting with Hebrews 13, 5. 
Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So I've talked a lot about the first part of this verse about keeping your life free from the love of money, about being content with what you have. But the last part of this is really important because it's where God actually says, you know what? If you actually do these things, keep this in mind. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. You know, one thing I take from that is God saying, you won't regret it. What you actually offer to me, you won't regret it. It might even be difficult at the time, at times, but his promise is that he'll never leave us or forsake us. So if we think about being generous to God, his promise is he'll never leave us or forsake us. So let's get into the final piece. That's all I'm going to say for now. I'm going to close in prayer at the end of this, but I do want to leave some time for question and answer. Who's got a question they'd like to ask? Yep. Um, but if we, if, if lots of the gospel is talking about giving generously to God and whatever, why should we be giving to the church to fix things and not just be focusing on giving to organisations, especially international organisations that need really need? Yeah, sure. So just for the people on stream, the question is, um, why should... Um, if we are giving to the disadvantaged, why should we give to the church and not directly to the disadvantaged? Especially, like, we don't have money. So we're getting paid. Everything seems to be in good order. Why don't we, why don't we just go line up with the rest and give money? Also, I think we need to consider. Yeah, sure. So I would say two things around that. One is that we're actually, you know, God asks us to bring, to give money to the church. Um, several times through the New Testament there are collections taken up for the church and as a principle all the way through, all the way from Old Testament times through New Testament times, there were to be offerings brought. If you look at the early church, they brought all their possessions essentially in Acts chapter 2, at the end of chapter 2, and they said they brought it and laid it at the feet of the apostles. So that's one thing is, A, we need to do it, um, you know, because... That A is part of what um, God has asked us to do. It's part of living in his kingdom. The second piece around why not give it directly to um, those organisations, I'd say two things in that space. First, well, three things perhaps, but let me see if I remember all three. One is this church um, gives to the disadvantaged, you know, through its um, offering, you know, through what we receive um, and to missions. That's part of what we do and we also provide slots for that. Um, so that's part of what this church does. Secondly, um, I would say that there is a principle for us of giving to the church and to these things. One thing I will say is that as a Western mindset, sometimes we really want to keep control and, and really it's a lack of trust. The reason we don't want to give the money to the church is we don't trust them to use it well. And so instead of trusting the church, we say, no, I know what to do better. You know, it's, it's a control thing. I really want to keep control of the money that I give to God. And so I just think that's something that's worth thinking about. You know, am I really doing this because 
you know, I don't believe or trust. So just understand that all through history, <laughs> um, you know, many times the temple in the Old Testament was corrupt and yet people were still asked to give to the temple. Um, I don't think we're corrupt. You might not agree with the priorities of the church spending, but there's a principle there that I think is worth following. But thanks. Okay, uh, so in, in the Gospels, there's the story of the rich young ruler. Um, he comes to Jesus and he says, um, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, keep the commandments, so don't murder, don't steal, don't commit adultery, etc. Um, and then the rich young ruler says, I've done all these things, what else must I do? And Jesus says, well, if you desire to be perfect, sell all your possessions, uh, give them to the poor uh, and come and follow me. And so my uh, question is, like, how are we supposed to relate that to our everyday life? Like, are we supposed to live with next to nothing? You know, are we supposed to basically become destitute and give to the poor? And, and how, how do we relate that teaching to, like, home ownership and car ownership, ownership of anything, really? Yeah. That's my question. Sure. So just in that space, it's a great question, Sam, because I think everybody who reads that passage as a Christian struggles with it. Um, you know, it's something like, what does this mean? You know, are we to do that? I think what's worth doing is actually looking at the whole of the New Testament when it comes to these things. Because if you actually go back to our First Timothy um, passage, and there's a few things that go on in this space. But if you go back into the, you know, the the First Timothy chapter six passage, it says, "Command those who are rich in this world," um, and actually says that. But here, Jesus is actually speaking to someone for whom this was so much an idol in his life. It was actually going to stop him from following Jesus. And I think that's the catch. That's the real difference here. Jesus was touching this person at the very thing that was going to stop him from following Jesus. So you know what? There is a point to say that if, if possessions are something that are going to stop you from following Jesus, you know, um, maybe that's something to consider. What I will say, though, don't forget some hyperbole that also occurs in this space and, you know, expansion. So, for example, when Jesus talks about if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your right eye causes you to sin, take it out. You know what? I don't know very many Christians in the world who have done that. You know, very, very few. <laughs> and those who have, probably, we would have thought were a bit odd. Because it has happened from time to time. There's been individuals who have done it. And this is one of those things, I think, that is a bit in that, in that space. But what I will say is we are encouraged to be generous. And so... Um, Paul actually had to speak to people uh, to the to, to, I don't know which church it was now I can't recall to say essentially, you know, we are, well in the end the New Testament church 
they had to take up an offering because people were living that way, basically making themselves destitute. They actually needed to take up an offering to go back to those people to say, you know, just to get them through because they'd actually taken that approach. So with time, they realised, hmm, we perhaps need to balance this up a bit. Jess. Yeah, so um, for me, tithing has always been a thing. Like from childhood, I've just said tithing, that was part of what I do. Um, when I was a uni student, it was still done that way when, you know, basically all the way through tithing um, was, was a thing. Probably beyond that came later, uh, and I would say it... In, in my instance, it probably started with supporting missions first and then over time really grew to the poor and disadvantaged. Um, and so now, you know, on top of my tithe there is offerings and I, I, you know, we track it. I know what we spend uh, in each of these areas. And one thing I will say that I've set for myself as a personal goal, um, challenging to do this at your stage in life perhaps, but you could try it, um, is that that our giving to the poor would incre- as a percentage of our income would increase y- year on year or at least directionally. Like if this last year, didn't happen. I'm not beating myself up because we fell short of a percent or two. But directionally, you know, over the course of five or ten years, I want to see that what we are giving to the poor as a percentage would increase. So that's that's a practical thing that you know, we have taken on board. And um, what I will say is my income has reduced substantially (laughs) by taking on this role. One of the things that is um, unfortunate about that is there's less to give. And, you know, I feel that. And as we look to our future when we may be retired, some of the things that we're currently giving to may not be giving to anymore. And that's actually a bit sad. Yeah. But I do think it's good to have, personally, the other thing I'd say that as mature Christians particularly, I think it's good to have three buckets. There is the church, there is missions, spreading the gospel, evangelism, and then there is the poor and disadvantaged. Yes, Deb? Sure. Yeah. So the question is, how do you be content in a job that you don't like or in the times gone by, how would slaves be content? And I don't think we should deny that at times contentment can be a struggle for us. I don't think we should be embarrassed about that. That's life. Um, I think quite often 
what can be helpful is recognising that for most of us, like in our situation, it is providing for our daily needs. You know, so the job might suck, but it actually is providing for us. And you know what, most of the jobs that people have in this room are not the lowest of the low kind of jobs. So, I mean, this might sound harsh, but as Westerners, we have so little to complain about. For me, I just, that, I always think about that. You know, like if, I've had times when my job has been really difficult, really annoying, uh, dominating my thinking in a negative way. Um, but, you know, it was a bit like, come on, fella, what are you grizzling about? <laughs> you know, compared to most, you know, my job was in the end somewhat fulfilling. Certainly it was, um, you know, better than what many experience. So for me, often it was just a bit of a wake-up call. But for others, it might be something that's good for you to talk about amongst yourselves, how you, how you do that, because I know that that's different for different people. Might have time for one more question, and then if you've got more, um, I'm going to be praying up the back here, but you're allowed to come and ask me a question as well, or talk about it amongst yourselves. It's great to do. Before we go to you, Sam, let's just see if there is anyone else. Is there anyone else? Yeah. Um, so would he be content in saying space was it's the place we come to worship and be family? Or do we need to maybe say a bit more generous to fix the leak so we have a safe place to worship with family? Okay, so um, Angus question is oh, I'm just gonna get you to do it say it again. I know what you mean, but <laughs> So do we need to be content in the area we are worshipping and being a family or do we need to be more generous so we have a safe place to be able to do those things? I don't think contentment is something that is fixed to a location like this location as in the church here um, in that way that contentment is something we should take with us wherever we go in that way. Um, in terms of whether we should be content, you know, that, like different people have different giftings It'd be great if someone would get up in there in the ceiling and fix that leak because that's what they're really good at. I did it a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> um, I'm not climbing ladders at the moment. Um, but, you know, so those things. In some ways, you know, what, what I will say is I think part of contentment in serving God is actually finding what gives you joy, what gives you juice, and do that. Do that. So in a church context, find that. In life context, that applies too. Find what you enjoy doing and do it. But recognise that not all the time that's going to be easy. And, you know, Paul said, we read the verse, you know, I know what it is to, to, to have plenty or to be in want. That's in all areas. If you read through the battles that Paul went through, most of them he wouldn't have chosen. He had a lot of battles on the way through. Um, but it is good to seek, you know, and say, you know, I'm good at some of the stuff that I do. It's great when I get a chance to use that for God's service and here. All right, that's probably enough. Um, great, thanks for hanging with us in that. And I just want to close in prayer with this. And this is our First Timothy chapter 6, verse 17 and 18, but I'm going to pray it as a prayer. Lord, will you help us not to be arrogant? Or to put our hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, to put our, but to put our hope in you, our God and our provider, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. I ask you to help us to truly appreciate 
what you've given to us. And help us to do good and to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share from all of the resources that you've given us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Hills Baptist Podcast. If you'd like to partner with us in developing and equipping passionate disciples who love God, love people and boldly share the gospel, you can do that at hillsbaptist.com forward slash giving. We pray this message has empowered you to live and love more like Jesus. Have an amazing day.